0: The where we review books Hello and welcome to Forever Young Adult: a podcast where I, Aoife, and I Kira,
1: read and discuss young adult fiction.
0: From the past, present and future is a tagline that we sometimes still use. This one there is no is future. Kind of... Shut up. <laughs> Oh, you're so
1: edgy. Ooh, There's no the future. There's no past. There's only
0: now. Okay, I- I'll accept that a little bit better than apocalypse talk. Anyway, um, this book actually is kind of futury. It's The Knife of Never Letting Go by Patrick Ness, which mm-hmm. is sci-fi-ish. Well, I'm pretty sure it's set on a different planet, which is very sci-fi it is yeah it's interesting though um which is why i've chosen to discuss it with you cool my intention with this episode is to have it a little bit shorter than our usual episodes kind of going laboriously through most of what happens in the book i just want to talk to you about some main themes cool also yeah
1: that book is big it's like 500 pages so um i don't necessarily want to hear
0: every plot point that happens in that massive ass book I listened to it in an audiobook and it was 13 hours long. Yeah. For context to listeners who mightn't listen to many audiobooks, I would say the average YA audiobook is like seven hours long, maybe eight. So this was Um, a lot.
1: You're generally looking at about two hours for every hundred pages.
0: I actually finished it listening on 1.5 speed because of my very weird attention span. And before we started recording, I sent Kira a picture of some bread I made. And now I reveal that that bread was made so that I would have something to do with my hands while I listen to an audiobook. Yeah, that makes
1: sense, to be honest. My my partner has taken that focaccia recipe that you made last night, and we are apparently going to have focaccia later today. So I'm very excited. I don't really, I'm not sure, I don't really believe that bread exists until it's actually in my hands, because the evidence of lockdown and bread has been that only about 50% of our our attempts have actually been edible. Like, the ones that are good are very, very good, but the failures, wow, they are failures. Ben is like, I'm going to go make bread, and I'm like, I love and believe in you, but I don't actually believe in the bread until it is, like, in my hands being eaten. That's fair. At least your partner makes bread. My partner makes, like, gruel. Um, That's true. Your partner has, like, crimes against food, so... My partner doesn't own.
0: eat spicy food or... Like, they wouldn't eat garlic-glazed pork. One, because they're vegetarian, which I respect. And two, because they don't think you should have sweet food in savoury food, which I don't respect. Um, which means, like, sweet and sour or anything like that. They're like, no, keep those things separate. Well, I also don't like sweet and sour, so...
1: Tell me about the author of this book.
0: Patrick Ness is British American. So he was born in 1971 on an army base in Virginia. He moved around for most of his childhood, living for some time in Hawaii, in L.A., and he never really felt that he was at home in any particular place. So he's quite private about his Life and his writing, but he moved to London in nineteen ninety nine to be with his partner, who is English, mm-hmm. and they still live together, settled in London. Patrick really began writing when he moved to London, so that was ninety nine. His first novel was published in two thousand and three. It was a, mm-hmm. a book for adults. He then published a book of short stories in two thousand and four. This book, The Knife of Never Letting Go, was published in 2008. It was his first YA book, and it was the first in the Chaos Walking trilogy. He's written a few other YA books since, and also a few more books for adults. He's written nine books total, I believe. So Patrick Ness has said that his inspiration for this book came from two ideas, one of which was a really, really stupid idea, and the other was kind of a clever idea. (laughs) That's how all good ideas are formed. I know, right? The really stupid one was that he was annoyed that any fiction that portrayed dogs talking, he thought didn't get it right. So, he decided to do a book in which the dogs could talk. Okay. Then he also combined that with the kind of smart idea of information overload is really difficult, particularly mm-hmm. for teenagers. Uh he said in interviews that he thinks that modern young people have less privacy than any human being in the history of the Western world ever has. I I would agree. Really? Because I was thinking about how the century of the self w- really only started in the early 1900s, and before that, mm-hmm. people, like, didn't have bedrooms. Um,
1: yes. But that meant that you were, like, didn't have privacy within your family, which I understand is, like... most of your world back then but now you don't have privacy in that your mom takes a load of pictures of you as a baby up until like you're seven and posts them all over the internet for the entire world to see and you have no real like say in that Mm. you can leave the room to get changed when living with your entire family in two rooms you don't have as much control over like what other people put up of you onto the internet. I guess. Yeah. I I think we're just a wider audience.
0: Me and Patrick Ness are talking about two different kinds of privacy and you're communicating those two types quite well there in that it is the information overload aspect that he wants to talk about. Like I said, Patrick Ness is quite private, but he did become civil partners with his partner in I think 2006, which was two months after it became pa- possible to do so in the UK mm-hmm. and they married in 2013 which is as soon as it was legally possible to do so in California so um, I love him and I'm very happy very for them um,
1: um, a couple of his so I've read the chaos walking books many many years ago and then I more recently have read um, some of his other young adult fiction books and there's some, there's some cute, cute gays in them. Todd has gay dads. Todd has gay dads, but um, there, there's no women. I know that they are gay as opposed to a lot of the other men are just um, men existing yeah. as single men, and some of them live with other men, but because of necessity as opposed to love. Yeah, no, his books do contain a lot of queer characters, which I like. Um, a lot of his other books deal with like other themes like that as well, though. Um. Uh, the rest of us just live here is one of his books it's really interesting it's about all the people who exist outside of the hero's narrative so like the supporting cast the supporting cast and then there's also um be more than this more than this that book was wild took i read it like three times
0: before i was like it's just too meta i think <laughs> And I I don't know as much about more than this, but the rest of us just live here. You can really read as a queer narrative, like aside from the characters actually being LGBT, in that for a lot of media, particularly mainstream media, queer people don't get to be the hero. They get to Mm. be the fun best friend or like background older people. Like it is easy as a queer Author or someone who wants to tell queer stories that are sto- relevant to queer people to be like, so what? what's happening with these guys in the background? Yeah. So I can see that there. But he has been asked in interviews, like, why haven't you written a gay book with a gay character as a main character? And he said, it's not that I don't want to write a gay book. It's just, I think, if I start writing a book with an adjective attached to the word book it's just going to be a less good book because it doesn't get to be the book it needs to be so he's working on it or he's not that's up to him it's wild that he's like oh i don't want
1: to put an adjective in front of my book when like all of his books have adjectives in front of them like a monster called is a grief book i don't think he knows that though when he's starting out (laughs) it's different it's different to like start a book being like i'm gonna write a grief book then writing a book and then being like oh it's all
0: about grief but yes so this book was really his first celebrated book his first two books he said were pretty much just bought by family and friends whereas this one got the book trust teenage prize the guardian children's fiction prize and the 2008 tip trek junior award as well as being shortlisted for a carnegie medal And it is part of a trilogy that has also gotten a lot of accolades, the later books in the series and as a trilogy as a whole. And that's our author.
1: So give me some of the information about this book so that we can discuss its larger themes.
0: Our main character is called Todd and he Mm -hmm. lives on an alien planet. He lives in a place called New World, which was settled by colonizers from Old World about 10 years before he was born. And he has never seen a girl because as soon as people landed on this earth, a war started with the native inhabitants who were called the Spackle, who are humanoid but not quite human creatures. And those Spackle released a germ called the Noise, which was a germ warfare thing that isn't particularly well described, but what it did was it killed half of the men and it killed mm-hmm. all of the women and all of the men who are have remained can read each other's thoughts ah. or broadcast their own thoughts seems to be the thing. So this is where the information overload thing comes in. Todd has never had a moment of privacy in his life. He's grown up on the edge of this town. Uh, raised by his fathers Killian and Ben because his biological parents were killed in the war and he can read everyone's thoughts and everyone can read his thoughts so he knows what the spackle look like because he's seen them in people's thoughts and he knows what women look like because he's seen them in people's thoughts but he's never actually seen any of these things and um, it's a difficult world (laughs) That does sound like a difficult world. Our main character is 10, yeah? Sorry, no. The war began 10 years before he was born. Uh, He is currently 12. He's like a month away from turning 13. But later in the book, another character notes that the years and the months on New World aren't the same as the years and the months on Old World. Because it's a planet going around a star. So things have different speeds. So, actually, by the reckoning of Old World, which may or may not be our planet, he would be 14 and two months old. Okay, cool, cool, cool. He lives in a settlement called Prentice Town, which has 147 people in it. That is 146 men and one almost man, which is our boy Todd, because he is the youngest person in the whole world.
1: Oh, that's sad.
0: I I actually really
1: hate those narratives. We did that in um. The Quiet at the End of the World. Yes, that was it. Um, Being the youngest people on Earth
0: is... Uh, it makes people a little bit crazy. It does. Mostly Todd <laughs> just hates being the last boy left in the world. Because as a boy, he gets all these shitty jobs to do. Like, men get to do important things. But he's, like, sent to the swamp to collect apples with his dog. And he just is so done with it who does he think is
1: going to collect the swamp apples when he stops being a man or stops being a boy because I assume that job still needs to be done and it will still
0: be given to the youngest which is him well, okay, the thing is that he has actually seen real concrete changes happening in his friends' lives if they've all moved up. Cause he's got friends who are like a few months or years older than him. And mm-hmm. as soon as they become men, they cross this threshold and they don't want to talk to him anymore. And when he's left behind, he's left doing these stupid jobs that seem to be more about like getting him out from under other people's feet than actually doing anything useful. Okay, fair enough. But also uh, the things like the swamp apples get you the first picture of the theme of this book that I'm really interested in, which is how your idea of reality can be wrong and how how you think the world is, is how the world is. And you can only build an idea of the world from what you know. And Mm -hmm. as that starts to come in contact with things That don't fit that picture. It feels like the whole world is falling apart. So. Obviously he's on an alien planet. So there's even small things like. There's animals in the swamp that he describes as crocodiles. But they have sails and fins. Okay so they're using old world terminology. For new world creatures. So it's when he's in the swamp collecting apples. And feeling a little bit you know annoyed at having to do this stupid job when everyone else gets to do smart things he his perception of reality gets its first blow because he Mm -hmm. meets a girl oh and the the noise virus hasn't killed her not yet no he's never seen a girl before but he knows it's a girl because memories of other people and he's very weirded out by it and then he's like you can't exist why do you exist how do you exist and she also doesn't have noise which means oh he can't read her thoughts and so it's it's really uncanny valley for him because then she's not a person right oh because all people have noise yeah so like is she thinking how how can you know what she's thinking is she anything does she even have feelings What's happening oh. here? And That is he actually really interesting as a concept. He's also extremely sad to be around her silence. It's like her silence is a hole in the noise. Not only can he hear all other men's thoughts, he can hear animal thoughts. He can hear his dog's thoughts. Patrick Ness wanted to communicate how dogs would actually speak. So the dog mostly says things like poo and "todd" and squirrel so a little bit like the dog and all. Dogs are so dumb. I love them. But he can't hear anything from her. Anything. Okay. And this girl is called Vila. And she was on a scouting mission from a second wave of ships from Old World. Mm-hmm. And her parents died in a crash on the way to the surface. And she's been on her own in the swamp for a little while. And it's been very difficult for her.
1: I can imagine yeah, grief and only knowing a
0: spaceship are not ideal circumstances to land in a swamp. And suddenly there's a boy next to her saying, oh God, she doesn't have the germ that I have, which is going to kill her if she catches it. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Oh, is he like, she doesn't have the silent, she doesn't have noise because she hasn't got the germ.
0: sees her ship, he's like, oh, okay. So the only reason she's alive is because she hasn't caught the germ yet and if she catches the germ then she'll die but over the course of this book and as you were saying it's quite a long book todd pretty much learns that everything he thinks he knows about new world is a lie which is Mm -hmm. tricky because you'd think in a community where everyone can read each other's thoughts it's hard to lie right
1: It has to be a whole community operation.
0: Mm -hmm. So Todd's father's Ben and Killian, as I said, were friends with his biological parents and took him in when they died. Turns out they didn't die in the war. Um, Todd's father died of an illness and then his mother was murdered when the men of Prentice Town murdered all of the women of Prentice Town because they couldn't cope with the idea that they couldn't read their thoughts. Wait, so women, like human women,
1: mm-hmm. have no noise, regardless of the germ or not. They have so The germ doesn't, are you saying that the germ doesn't necessarily kill you? It just makes you, it just makes your thoughts verbal. And then the humans killed the, the women because they didn't like privacy. Cool, 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 cool,
0: cool. The spackle also didn't do it on purpose. It's just something that exists on this planet. And everything that exists on this planet already heard each other's thoughts. And when the human settlers arrived, they also started hearing it. So the Spackle aren't horrible people who killed all the women either. The Spackle are just indigenous. Yeah. Oh my
1: God. Oh my God. Okay. Does Viola ever come into the town?
0: She doesn't ever come into Prentice Town because as soon as Todd goes back to his family home and his parents read in his noise that he's met a girl and is starting to question the realities that they've set up for him they literally shove a rucksack at him and tell him to go it has a knife it has an old journal that his mother wrote in and it has some food and supplies and they're like you have to leave okay so is the rest so where are they Where do they go to? There is a map in the book. Which has another horrifying revelation in it for Todd. Which is that the 147 men of Prentice Town. Aren't the only inhabitants of this whole planet. There are other settlements. There's lots of them actually. But none of them go to Prentice Town. And Prentice Town doesn't go to any of them. Because the men of Prentice Town are all murderers. And We don't want that round here. So
1: other settlements have men and women. Yep. And he is, he's just grown up in the worst one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He grew up in the exile town. Yeah. I'm processing that the other towns that know that his town exists and are like, we don't go there. We just let them do their own thing as opposed to trying to punish them in some way for killing all the
0: women. It's a town-sized prison. They're not allowed to come into other towns or they will get murdered. But they also aren't gonna just kill 147 people. But they didn't take the children.
1: Like, his parents died. He was very young. But that implies that for a period of time, they managed to live successfully... And that people had children, and no one from the other town was like, you know was we'll allow the adult men who murdered all these women to live there in their shame. But what if we rescue the children? Does anyone under the age of 10 didn't have anything to do with the murder.
0: Hey, do you want to go into a town of, like, let's say 130, 140 adult men who have shown that they are willing and able to murder people for no reason? Uh, They have about equal resources to you. They have guns and horses. You have, like, some guns, but if you and, like, five other settlements that you don't necessarily get along with all of the time anyway, band together, you could probably outnumber them. What are you going to
1: do? I don't love letting the children grow up in this jail town. Are the other towns going to be accepting of Todd? Because he comes from jail town.
0: He's been deliberately kept ignorant so that he might have a chance of escape. Because he wasn't around for it. And if other people can read in his noise that he didn't know anything about it, then he's safe. So he's kept ignorant and he has no idea... And his parents are like, literally, don't think about it, stop thinking about it, just run, just leave. And even so, when he gets to other towns, some of them are like, well, he's a kid and I can do maths. And it seems like probably he didn't murder a bunch of people, you know, 10, 12 years ago. And yet other people are like, "Mm, you see, my aunt was in Prentice Town and I have a big knife, so... Okay, so
1: revenge,
0: forgiveness, all themes of this book. Mm-hmm. And oh my goodness. it's tricky for Todd and it's tricky to be the person reading the book as well because from an external point of view it's quite obvious that there are holes in this story but Todd doesn't know and all Todd has known is life in this town and as the reader you're like, put it together Todd! Put it, put it together, but he can't because his entire must, reality
1: is this prison town. It must also be difficult to grow up in a place where you are constantly trying to suppress your thoughts so that other people can't read them and to then also be like, I have to have very big thoughts right now so I can put them together. Because like, that takes a lot of internal thinking. And if you are spending your time trying to not let other people see your thoughts, then you would suppress all of that like
0: innate ability, I would think. So we actually see a few other settlements in New World and they all Mm -hmm. have their own different arrangements to cope with the fact that everyone can hear men's thoughts, including women. Women can hear men's thoughts as well. They just don't necessarily broadcast their own. So in Prentice Town, Todd just tries to avoid... The center of town as much as he can there's a pub that always has music blaring so that no one can hear themselves think or other people think um, oh that's horrifying that's a thing Why? that happens irl yeah but there's another settlement the first one they meet called far branch uh where everyone kind of lives outside of town and only comes into town to trade because yikes Um, There's another settlement They pass where All of the men sleep in one big dormitory And all of the women sleep in another Big dormitory which Todd is like Huh that's one way to deal with the problem Because his friend Viola who at this point Has like Figured out that she isn't going to die by being In contact with him is like Can you please stop thinking so I Can go to sleep I'm so Tired
1: (laughs) Oh my God, I hadn't even thought of that aspect of us. Um, just like listening to another person's Do they have thoughts in their dreams?
0: Yeah. No. That's bad. It's actually really dangerous because they're passing this settlement in the dead of night and staying as far from it as they can. But Todd accidentally thinks the word Prentice Town and he mm-hmm. just hears it waving through everyone's dreams because obviously someone hears Prentice Town and thinks Prentice Town and then the person next to them hears Prentice Town and thinks Prentice Town but they're all asleep. It's like hearing someone talk next to you while you're asleep and that becoming part of your dream except it's like 40 men in a shed. Oh God. I I don't want to live in this world. The mayor of Prentice Town has been practising like thinking of random shapes and thinking of chants and stuff to try protect his noise from other people and uh, make other people not able to read what he's about to do as a military manoeuvre. Prentice Town decides to invade all of New World because uh, they're angry. Y- yeah, Um Like,
1: I don't think that they're in the right, but I also understand why they would, like, spend 10 years being, sitting in their own anger and festering and, like, making themselves believe that they are in the right.
0: And this is the other thing I wanted to talk about with this book that I don't know how well I'm able to talk about, which is misogyny. Like, Todd doesn't personally hate Violet. When he meets her, he isn't like, oh, a girl, which is a less smart and good version of a boy. He's just like, what the fuck is this alien creature? I've never met one of these before in my life. But, like, you can read the thoughts of the men in Prentice Town through what Todd hears. And all of the women they think about are either really, really idealised, perfect daughters and wives. Or um, quite crude sexual fantasies. So... It, they have a very limited, misogynistic view of women and a lot of their need to kill all of the women seemed based on this idea that if women are keeping secrets from us, we can't know what they're doing, we can't trust them. like. And there is this sense of grief that Todd gets when he spends some time around Viola's silence because he's like... I've never experienced this kind of peace before and it makes me want to cry and that and makes people want to do murder sometimes. Uh, sometimes uh, men
1: can't be in touch with their emotions because that makes them feel less masculine and therefore they want to kill the people that make them feel like crying due to the peacefulness of their thoughts
0: and that's that's sad. That's really sad, yeah. But even the other settlements aren't immune to misogyny. Mm -hmm. Far Branch, which is the first one they come across, seems to have women and men as fairly equal citizens. But they come across another settlement later on where all of the women sleep in a dormitory outside of town, but all of the men have their own houses and uh, lives. And the centre of town is only where men go for trading and women just cook and clean and make babies. And... I think it is an interesting theme. Danny
1: of the towns have
0: women as leaders? Yes. And like, so the first woman that Todd meets, other than Viola, the first adult woman he meets is a woman called Hildy, a farmer who lives outside of Far Branch, which is the closest town to Prentice Town. It's called Far Branch because it's branched out really far from the rest of the settlements. Her sister is the mayor of their town and Hildy is the former mayor of their town. And it is actually in that town that they meet the dude who just immediately tries to attack Todd with a machete because his mother, I think, was a resident of Prentice Town. And she sent all of the children across the swamp to get away. From the growing violence. And the man that we meet in Farbranch. was one of these. And another way you can look at the theme of denying reality. Is towards the end of the book. Todd finally gets to talk to one of his fathers again. He gets to talk to Ben. And he asks him like. If you knew all this was happening. Why did you stay? And Ben says. I didn't think it would happen. Like. People were talking about killing all the women and people were talking about how women can't be trusted and people were growing increasingly violent but I never thought it would happen. It seemed really unlikely. So we just stayed and by the time we stayed too long, we couldn't leave. The reason that the story that Todd was told includes that half of the men died of the noise germ is because half of the men in Prentice Town died fighting with the women against the men who were attacking them uh and Ben and Killian didn't do that they just let it all play out and and
1: then we like cool I guess we'll raise this orphaned baby then
0: and try to be better people than we were yeah we were trying to get a household going like we were helping your mother with her farm since your dad died and we were all chatting a lot and just thought it's not gonna happen like this is just something people gossip about in town but and the denial like it's easy if you see everyone's thoughts to still not take those thoughts seriously like people it reminds me of how people talk about the internet as if it's not real people have conversations on the internet that they wouldn't have in real life well like often like It's not 100% of the time, but often people
1: who participate in mass violence will have spoken on the internet about wanting to commit mass violence and everyone's just like, oh, that's just so-and-so. They're having a bad week. They don't really mean that. And then they're like, oh, how could we have known that they were going to cause all this mass violence? It's like, they, they told you. They, they did you actually tell you.
0: They wrote it down. So I think you can really draw a parallel with Todd's journey in this book um, to anyone who's somewhat woke in this world unlearning the things that we've been told about our culture to realize the truth, I guess. I don't want to sound conspiracy theorist, but that's what his journey essentially is. And it's really, really frustrating because there's a point about two thirds of the way through the book when him and Viola have already been in multiple settlements and met multiple women. And so he already knows women exist. He's already seen a girl and knows that they aren't killed by the germ. And they know that the germ just happened on the planet and the spackle didn't actually release it to them on purpose. But they stumble across the fishing camp of a spackle man who was just out gathering a cat for the day. And Todd flies into a blind rage and murders him. Oh, Todd. So Viola's like, why did you do this? And Todd's like, the spackle killed my mother. And she's like, they literally didn't. We know that they didn't. We've we've heard from many sources that your
1: mother was killed by the townspeople where you lived. And he's still like... Oh
0: yeah, I I forgot though. Because for my entire life, I've been believing this version of the story. And for just the last week as we've been wandering around, I've heard the other version. So which version is going to come to the fore when there's a Has spackle he seen in front spackle of him?
1: before? No. He's never met he's never met
0: one before. Similar to okay. girls, he's just seen them in other men's memories. And in their memories, they're always like bigger and spikier and more evil and more horrible. The same way that women are always quieter and softer and, you know, more idealized. Mm -hmm. Okay. That reminded me of a thing that I've read. And as much as I try to place it, I can't actually remember where I read it. But it was uh, an essay, I think, about Christian thought. And it was saying how foreigners become the scapegoats for everything that happens in the world and women become Mm -hmm. the scapegoats for everything that happens in the home. Yeah, that's... That's painfully true in a lot of cases. Like... And again, this is something I struggle to talk about because I... I wasn't raised, I guess. (laughs) I was never raised. Um, But I just... I don't have to think about misogyny in the day-to-day very much. And I'm obviously very lucky for that. And there's probably a lot of ways in which misogyny invisibly affects my life that I don't think about and I'm not aware about. But damn, yeah, they just... It's really easy to look out in the world and think that people are causing all your problems and then hate those people and then do violent, horrible things to those people like genocide and slaughtering. And I can see what you're doing with your nose.
1: You were saying very serious
0: things and I was messing.
1: Yeah, the othering of other people is possibly one of the worst traits that humans have come up with on a global scale. Yeah, because it is very easy to treat people that you do not believe are people badly. Yeah. Um, and it's much harder to do that if you just think that other people are people. Um, I, I, saw it, I saw it somewhere on the internet and probably it was a tweet. But it was something like, I don't know how to explain to you that you should care about other people. And I was just like, oh, damn, so much of the world just doesn't care about anyone other than the 50 people that they personally love. And some people don't even love that many. So, yep, it's upsetting and hard. And this is why you end up killing a spackle, even though it had done nothing wrong to you and was just trying to do some fishing. It's
0: difficult. Poor Todd has to unlearn everything. Ben and Killian are sneakily trying to teach Todd to read, um, which he doesn't quite get. So he never quite manages to make use of his mother's diary. But, you know, they're doing all these little things they can to survive under this very difficult regime. They don't teach
1: the children to read in Prentice Town?
0: No, Todd remembers some early days when they had educational videos that kids learned from in a schoolhouse in town. But then the teacher mysteriously disappeared. So they stopped learning.
1: Okay, cool. See, so yeah, another way to limit your population's um, access to information is to not teach them how to read. Like you can you can limit the materials that they have access to by not letting them learn to read. And then even if they do find something that would be controversial, they still don't have access to it. Like, they can't accidentally read something that would open their minds in any way. Patrick
0: Ness is not subtle about this. They burn all the books.
1: Okay, cool. Cool, 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 cool. Love that. Um, Also, I'm like, I'm like pro not being subtle when you're writing for 12 year olds. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Men do occasionally go missing from Prentice Town. And at the start Mm -hmm. of the book, Todd thinks, "Okay, so these men kill themselves because they can't cope with this tragic life we have on this far flung planet in this place that's like our entire settlement is just slowly dying. Because there is no women to make more women. So he thinks these men just kill themselves. And then when he finds out other settlements exist, he's like, oh, maybe they run away to other settlements. And then he finds out they're not welcome to other in other settlements. And he thinks, oh, okay, maybe they just ran away and died. And then he finds out that the, to become a man in Prentice Town, you have to murder someone. So what the mayor actually does when someone steps out of line is keep them until the next boy is old enough to become a man and then get that boy to kill them, so that then that boy is also complicit, and also can't leave Prentice Town, and also has to be loyal to this place. And you turn a man at like thirteen. At thirteen, which in our planet and its rotations is like fourteen fifty.
1: Does that make him a man now that he's killed a speckle? <laughs> He has that fear. Okay, I know that's not the point. I know that's not the point. Um, but all the other adults in Preston Town must know that every time a boy becomes a man, they have to murder someone. So are they not living in fear that they will be a person murdered? Are they not? yes. It just all seems very violent.
0: It's unclear whether all of the men in Prentice Town know that this is the coming of age ceremony. But if the question is whether they're living in fear, the answer is yes. When the army of Prentice Town starts invading the rest of the world, uh, Todd gets a glimpse of them at one point and is like, I don't understand why these men, this guy who was the one who had the most books to burn, when the books were burned why is he in the army like this guy who's literally just sits in the pub and thinks about how much he wishes he misses his wife julia and wishes she was here like why is he in the army it makes no sense and the thing is they are living in fear fear is a powerful motivator
1: i will admit yeah i will admit that um fear begets fear begets fear and it's scary
0: it is. Uh, I
1: understand.
0: And when there are real concrete things to be afraid of like everyone living in this town is a murderer including me, it warps in weird ways. I don't know if I'd be afraid of other murderers if I was also a murderer. If there were 145
1: of them? Yeah, be like, I've done the murder. Once you turn the switch. <laughs> and I'm also like, oh, saying something like once you turn the switch means that like people in our society who have murdered um like it implies that there is no hope that they can rejoin society in a successful manner, and I don't believe that. So,
0: yeah, Patrick Ness also doesn't believe that because okay, cool, 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 cool. a thing that is often repeated in this book is the crazy preacher of the town, Aaron, says, If mm-hmm. one of us falls, we all fall, which is why this army, uh, stretching across the world and breaking down settlements as it goes and growing as it goes, collecting men who agree with them from the towns that they pass through, are kind of obsessed with getting Todd on their side because he's the last boy in Prentice Town who hasn't killed anyone. So if they can get him on side, then perhaps they're able to get everyone on side or every man on side. But what he and Viola realize towards the end is that everyone falls. It is not whether you fall, it's how you get back up. So he kills the spackle and he feels really, really bad about it. And then he's not able to kill someone the next time he's in a conflict situation, even though that person has murdered his dog and is trying to murder both him (gasps) and his best friend. Oh no, dumb dog. Oh, I can read you a really sad quote about the dog if you want. Point being anyway, before I continue, um, Todd does succumb to the violence in his upbringing and makes mistakes and does hashtag problematic things but uh he grows and learns and he becomes better and he falls less over time as he gets more confident with it that is good todd has a dog manchi and at the start of the book he really kind of hates him because he's like this is an annoying dog i never wanted And now it's an annoying thing that follows me around giving me its thoughts all the time. Yeah, but uh, here's a quote towards the end of the book about Manchi. I rubbed the ears of my dog, my stupid goddamn ruddy great dog that I never wanted, but who hung around anyway, and who followed me through the swamp, and who bit Aaron when he was trying to choke me, and who found Viola when she was lost, and who's licking my hand with his little pink tongue, And whose eye is still mostly squinted shut from when Mr. Prentice Jr. kicked him. And whose tail is way shorter from when Matthew Lyle cut it off with his machete. My dog. My dog went after a man with a machete to save me. Who's right there when I need pulling back from the darkness I fall into. And who tells me who I am whenever I forget. What a great dog.
1: I love dogs so much. They're so good. If I had a dog, I wouldn't have depression. It's a true fact about me personally. Not every person with depression or a dog. But if I had a dog, I would be cured.
0: Not sure whether to cut that or not. <laughs> <laughs> Sit on it. <laughs> um, uh, friends, I don't necessarily endorse this animals are
1: good <laughs> well, neither do i i'm yeah. not like i'm not like oh a person has depression have you given them a dog but i am like i have depression where is my dog very fair very fair altogether.
0: Is, it's true of me personally not generally as well as the quote about the dog i might read you two quotes from todd's mother's diary Todd never learns to read, but Viola can read and she's really good at impressions. So he asks her to read the book in Apprentice Town accent so we can imagine what his mother might have sounded like.
1: Oh, that's really sweet. It's really sweet. Okay. Tell, give me these, these extracts from the diaries.
0: There are... The first one is... You must learn about the attractiveness of power before you get much older. It's the thing that separates men from boys, but not in the way most men think. And that's something she wrote in her diary addressed to her baby son, who was about two days old. Oh my God. And the other one is, I felt so much love for you. It was almost like pain, almost like I couldn't stand it another second longer, but only almost. Oh. oh. I don't know how well my discussion discussed but um it was a book that I quite enjoyed reading I listened to the audiobook of it and the person reading it had a rural English accent I would say I don't have much knowledge of English accents maybe West Country it was pleasant anyway he said inked a lot and I'm not going to read the rest of the trilogy because life is too short but I do quite recommend it particularly if you have it on your shelf Uh, pick it up. We're stuck in our houses.
1: Um, yeah, no, it's... It is a book that... Parts of it stuck with me. Not... Like, when you said you wanted to discuss it in themes, I was like, oh yeah, that'll be good. Mostly because I'm like, plot-wise, none of it has stuck with me. (laughs) I vaguely think that there's a town entirely of women at some point who are like, we are going to fight the men because they're dumb. Um
0: spoilers for the rest of the trilogy but yeah there is an organization called The Answer who were a fighting column during the war with the Spackle because they're very good for guerrilla warfare because you can't hear their thoughts unlike everything else on this planet yeah. so it seems like that organization is resurrected Viola spent some time with them and ha- they fight against the mayor Prentice
1: yeah um there was also some really interesting things about, like, the men, basically. Because the women don't have verbal thoughts, um, and men and animals do, there's definitely a woman at some point who was like, men are no better than, than dogs. They are just animals, and women are the evolved life form, as it were. Women are and wiser. that is why... Yeah, and that's why we don't project our thoughts and that is part of the reason why the men in Prentice Town killed them all because they were like, they didn't like being reminded that they are animals.
0: That is actually what I was going to point out as the low light of this book is that obviously Mm -hmm. to make the setting work, you need a lot of gender essentialism and I can't think of any way that you can really fix it like there are men with quieter and louder noise that we meet but there's no women with noise at all so either you say literally having a y chromosome in this world and everyone is cis makes you have noise and because humans aren't native to this planet women don't have it but then they also brought like sheep and horses and dogs over with them and all of the sheep and horses and dogs Have noise. Even the ones without Y chromosomes. So there's. They need to have a gender essentialist thing in it. To explore the themes that they do. But it's still a low light for me. Because I'm like why. Why just not women. Why is that the only. Creature on this entire planet. Who doesn't have noise. That was low light for sure. Um, Highlight. I didn't even get into. But Todd sees a kid younger than him like two or three times in this entire book and every time he sees a kid he's like oh god it's so small it's so small oh my god look at that tiny small perfect child it's so small at one point the first time they see kids matchy starts barking puppies puppies and todd's like yeah They are, I
1: guess. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, that is something that, like... So most stories in which you are the youngest living being, you don't meet other younger living beings. Um, And that is weird. Because do you remember in secondary school when you got into, like, senior cycle? So you were, like, 15 or 16... And then, like, you saw an 11-year-old coming down the corridor and you were like, no way I
0: was ever that small. Yeah.
1: Imagine that, but you've never even seen an 11-year-old before. And
0: Todd is immediately so tender and kind. Like, he's nervous. He's like, oh, God, I cannot approach or talk to these children at all because I have no idea how to deal with children. I've never seen children. What is this? But he's also... What if he breaks the children? He's also just immediately, like, enchanted and, like fascinated and like absolutely adores these tiny humans who are clearly the best and just he's mesmerized by them and i think that's really cute because you don't get that in many 12 to 14 year old boys
1: yeah that's true mostly they're just like oh an annoying tag along but he's like look at these precious pure children who've never murdered anyone
0: yeah <laughs> the bar is low
1: The bar is low in Todd's life, let's be honest. Everyone he knows has either murdered or allowed the murder of people. Mm -hmm.
0: Any sidelights? It's hard to know sidelights because I only finished this book yesterday, so I don't know what stuck with me yet. What are your sidelights? Or the series, if it's hard to separate them out?
1: Honestly, I think the thing that stuck with me from this series is just that like other people are people and their motivations are unknown to you, even if you can read their thoughts. Mm.
0: It is actually a really nice example of the other people are people storyline that comes up so much in YA. There's a bit towards the end of the book where Todd and Viola are, as for most of the book, alone together, hiding somewhere. Violet's like looking away from Todd and Todd suddenly realizes like I can read her like she doesn't have noise but I can read her noise like I can read like the angle of her head and the way she's hunched over a little bit and the conversation we were just having and the fact that I know her that I know she's thinking this and she's thinking this and she's feeling this which reminds her of this I know her and she's a person and she doesn't need noise to be a person that I know and can understand. And I think that's really nice.
1: Um, just when you said that. It made me think. Nobody expresses the thought that women aren't even like. Did I misremember someone thinking that women are even less than beasts. Because they don't have noise.
0: Sort of. I mean we don't go super deep into it. But um, at one point they end up in a settlement. Where only men are on the council. And like when they turn up, Todd's like delirious with a fever and Viola's like, please help us. And also warning, there's a there's an army coming and they're like, oh, we will help this boy, but we will not listen to you, silly girl. And they're like they they act like they're doing her a grand favor by allowing her to remain by his side instead of sleeping out on the edge of town where the women are meant to sleep. So they're not disturbing men and men's business. So, there is ah, that okay. attitude. Like I said, this book is a really interesting overview of lots of little micro societies who all have their own original fun flavor of sexism, most of which is misogyny.
1: Cool, 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 cool. I love that. Love that in my uh, young adult fiction novels.
0: It, I actually do.
1: I like that it is being questioned. It allows the book to explore many, many diverse the- attitudes to sexism and and that's my point yeah. and then that that brings the reader through it and allows the reader to question and and analyze all of these things mm-hmm. and i i am like i do genuinely like that mm-hmm. in a book um yeah and that's why issue books are my faves because they're a safe place to discover things about yourself and society mm-hmm. even and especially love it in books that aren't like titled issues
0: yeah this was like a sci-fi book I think Patrick Ness really well explored the two themes he wanted to explore, namely being that in a situation of information overload, it is the loudest voices that are amplified and that that is a really difficult way to grow up and that if dogs talked, they wouldn't say much interesting.
1: If my my late dog Millie had anything interesting to say, and I think that she would just say, I am allowed on the couch <laughs> as As I'd be like, you're not allowed on the couch. She would be like, I am. Look at me. I'm on the couch. (laughs) The evidence is against you. And then I would be like, no, but you're supposed to be on the floor. And she would. It it would be like arguing with a toddler. Yeah. They're like, oh, I'm not allowed to do this thing, but I am doing this thing. So I don't understand the point.
0: My dog is a terrier. So, yeah, I think it would be a lot of stranger, 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 stranger. And we'd be like, you're sitting at the front room window looking out on the street of course there's strangers there that is true (laughs)
1: um millie also liked looking out the window Mm. she was super smart such a dumb dog such a smart dumb dog um i maintain that millicent was both the stupidest dog And the smartest dog. And I see no contradiction. I'm
0: pretty sure I've got some calligraphy in my house somewhere that one of my housemates did that is, in this house we are very smart dumbasses. So Millie can be an honorary household member. Thank you. Thank you. She... She praises you from heaven. The other thing Rocco um, would probably say if he could talk is when you are eating something yummy, he sits at your feet and he leans against your legs and he looks up at with his big, big eyes. And I know for a fact that if he could talk, he would just say, I love you. I I love you.
1: I love you food. I love you food. 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 I oh, love food, I love you. I love you.
0: <laughs> it would be like when I come to visit yeah. um, and you've baked something. <laughs> that I think is everything I have to say on the book. Um
1: uh, we will be back in 2 weeks with our June Pride reads. Oh yeah. I will be reading a yet unnamed book uh, that deals with LGBTQ issues. Possibly your book has lesbians in it, so I think that I might do something gendery. Cool. But we'll we'll see because it is as of yet unnamed.
0: If you are not able to wait for us to come back in two weeks with our Pride books, we will be sharing last year's Pride episodes on social media. So if you want to listen to us talking about, gosh, what were our Pride books? Stir Fry by Emma Donohue and, and Dreadnought, wasn't it? Yeah. So keep an eye out for those. But yes, in four weeks, I will be reading to you B. or Collins's Love in Revolution, which, as Kira said, has lesbians in it. Uh, stay tuned. If you do want to keep up with us on social media and get links to those episodes, which if you're listening to this, you can probably very easily find by scrolling down. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Forever YA Pod, on Goodreads at Forever YA Pod and on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Forever Pod. Instagram is as always the odd one out. It is Forever YA Podcast and I have been making and posting some fun edits with quotes from this book, recent books, and way far back time books. Um it's been fun. It's something to keep me creative during our quarantines. Anything else I've missed, Kira?
1: Um I think that's everything. I think that was very comprehensive. Good job. If you
0: are listening to us on Apple Podcast, please leave us a review and a rating because algorithms, algorithms.
1: Algorithms. We love them. They're
0: our friends. Don't. But but we are subject (laughs) to their whims nevertheless. So if you want to tell your friends who you think might be interested in our podcast about what we do here, you can easily send them a link and if you think that's a bit awkward then please do leave us a review because that's second to actually making another person fall in love with us that's probably the best you can do for uh encouraging us to keep doing this
1: cool also send us in any pride book recommendations that you do have to all the social medias that Etha already named because I have a couple of books in mind but I'm open Open to, to recommendations, Indeed. essentially.
0: Thank you for listening, dear listener. Uh, we will be back in two weeks. Bye! Bye!
1: Forever young adults at the where we review books. Hey! The outro music has happened and you're still here. I think you want to follow us on Twitter.
0: Yeah, you can find us there at Forever Pod,
1: And on Instagram at Forever YAPod. You can
0: also email us at Forever YAPod. And if you really, really like what you're hearing, you can contribute to our Patreon, which you can find at Forever Pod. Also, don't forget to like and subscribe. Also, if you are listening on iTunes, please leave us a review. We love you. Talk to you in two weeks. Bye.